Well, I trust you've already been blessed by the music and scriptures today and prayers. We're going to stay in the passage for a few moments of uh, John chapter 20. Uh, we want to welcome all of you here today. Some of you are new to our church, and there's a visitor center out in the, in the foyer, information there. And we want to thank uh, uh, the Browns for being here. The Browns came the furthest. Bob and Cecilia and Jasper came all the way from Indonesia to be with us today. Uh, on Wednesday night, Ma uh, Micah Anderson came all the way from China. So we've got people just traveling in here uh, from great distances. But it's so great to have the Browns home for a little while to be with us. Uh, going back to our passage in John chapter 20, uh, there's a famous scene in a movie called uh, A Few Good Men. You probably have seen it or at least seen the scene where Colonel Jesuit says, you want answers? And Lieutenant Caffey says, I think I'm entitled. Jessup repeats, you want answers? Caffey retorts, I want the truth, to which Jessup says, you can't handle the truth. Now you're familiar with that line probably. Maybe the resurrection is one of those things that a lot of people can't handle. They cannot handle the truth of the resurrection. The songs we've sung today have all been about that truth. And the, the fact of that, and yet a lot of people do not know how to handle that or what to do with that. And to be fair, the, the apostles didn't either. As we look at our passage today in, in chapter 20, we find that the apostles were not ready for the resurrection. They were not expecting it. Uh, Jesus had spoken to them about it several times, at least three times that we have recorded in the Gospels. But uh, at the same time, uh, they didn't seem to, to grasp that. And none was more taken off guard than Thomas. And that's why I guess he gets that sad handle of being doubting Thomas. But I'm not sure you and I would do a whole lot better. Going back to chapter 20, verse 24, uh, it says that Thomas was not with the disciples when uh, Jesus appeared. And so in verse 25, the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we start off by noticing that he is skeptical. Uh, Thomas did not, it wasn't that Thomas did not want to believe. Uh, he didn't know if he could believe. He had believed in Christ for three years. He had traveled with him. He had lived with him. He had listened to his messages. Uh, but when the cross came, he, he didn't expect that. And he was gravely disappointed. Jesus seemed to have let him down. How could he die? How could the Messiah die? And so Thomas is taken off guard, and he really doesn't know what to do with that. And so he's disappointed, and he doesn't want to be disappointed again. He doesn't want to get his hopes up. Even though the disciples and the, some of the women have seen Jesus, uh, he did not want to get his hopes up. So he says, I won't believe unless I personally see him and touch his side and so forth. And so he, he didn't want to be one of those gullible types that buys into every uh, conspiracy theory that came along, so he refused to believe. But there's a radical change starting in verse 26 with him. It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came. And the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here and put your finger with, with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who do, did not see and yet believed. Something radically changed in Thomas. What changed Thomas? Uh, the fact of the resurrection. When he realized the resurrection had happened, the proof of the resurrection was there before him, that everything changed, and he cries out, My Lord and my God. Now some, like the Jehovah's Witness, say that he's just making a, he's not claiming Jesus is God. He, he's simply making an explanation, you know, an exciting remark like people do when they get excited. 
Folks, uh, in the first century Jewish uh, context, that would have been blasphemy. The Jews didn't use terms like that flippantly. They wouldn't even use the word God sometimes. And so they, were, they would never have done that unless they were talking about God himself. And so Thomas proclaims Jesus Christ not only as Lord but as God. And he knows who he is. What, what an uh, identification he gives us here. It was a resurrection that made all the difference in Thomas's life. And it makes all the difference in the apostles' lives. As they took that message everywhere they went, everywhere they traveled, as we look through the book of Acts, they not only preached the cross, they not only preached the life of Jesus, they preached the resurrection. That was the message that changed multitudes of people in the first century. It has changed millions and millions throughout the years. The message that Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but that he resurrected for our life as well. What is it that every Christian, what every person must know about the resurrection? We've been in this series for a while about what every person needs to know about certain things. We're looking at the resurrection today. What does everybody need to know about it? And there's so many things, again, that we could identify. But I'm going to mention about three things today that everybody needs to know. Number one, it really happened. The resurrection really happened. How those songs today spoke to my heart as they as sang out saying that it, it happened. He lives. He is alive. Every, it was interesting to think of the songs today. My wife picks those out usually and uh, for the congregation. Then other, other individuals are uh, bringing those special songs. I noticed a genre of music, you know, from uh, old hymns. Uh, to uh, the uh, Gaithers, to the Gettys, and all, the, all sorts of different ones, but they're all saying the same thing. He lives, and because he lives, our lives can be changed. The resurrection really, really happened. One of the most uh, popular movies in recent times is the Titanic. A lot of you probably saw that movie, and uh, as, as most modern movies, it played kind of loose with the historical facts. Uh, and one of those uh, issues had to do with when the boat was sinking, the Titanic was sinking, and uh, the people were getting on the lifeboats. In the movie, they had the, the uh, police, the British police cops, pull out their handguns and shoot into the air and tell the men to back off. You don't get in the boats. Women and children first. And, and they backed them off. And, and that was one thing they brought out. And then another was that a lot of the powerful, rich men tried to get on the boats, and some of them succeeded. Uh, and, uh, and so forth. Now the truth of the matter is, historically, uh, British cops don't have handguns. And certainly sailors on boats don't have handguns. Nobody's shot into the air. Secondly, there was no indication historically that the men tried to get on the boats, and the rich men did not do so at all. Matter of fact, the richest man in the world at that time, John Jacob Astor, he was the Bill Gates of his time. Uh, he refused to get on the boat. He put his wife on the boat, backed up. Somebody says, you need to get on that boat. You're a, you're a rich, powerful man. He says, I will not get on that boat. Women and children first. Now, the New York Times is doing a review on the Titanic, and they asked the producer and director, why did you lie about history? Why did you massage history? And they said, well, the reason why is that nobody in the 21st century would actually believe that people would be so, so unselfish so self-sacrificing as to put other people before themselves. Now that's what they said. Now if that's true, uh, so they, they fudged history because nobody would have believed the truth. If that's true, and that's, they've got their thumb, I assume, on, on culture, 
If that's true, then in a hundred years, we've gone from a people that would self-sacrifice, who would give up their own lives for others, to a society that is all about me. It's all about my needs, all about my wants, my desires. It's all about me. And self-sacrificing is totally out the window, even for many Christians. Well, we're conditioned by our own thoughts, by our culture, by our media, by all we see around us. We're conditioned to believe certain things certain ways. And that's the same truth, that same truth carries over to the resurrection. Most people will give lip service to the resurrection, but they don't really believe it. That, that truth is too much for them to handle. They don't really know what to do with the truth of the resurrection. And so the question here today, it, did it really happen? Well, I want to give you some evidence on why I believe, why you should believe the resurrection happened. I'll give you ten things very quickly. And of course, we've run over these before. But here are ten reasons why we believe the resurrection truly happened historically. Number one, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. There is no record of anyone questioning the empty tomb. Nobody said, no, the tomb is, there's still a body in that tomb over there. All they had to do was walk down the street. It's a few blocks away, there was the tomb. And anybody and everybody could have walked down to that tomb and looked inside to see if there was a body there. And if they did, there was no body. The tomb, in fact, was empty. Jesus was not there. Secondly, there's no reason for anybody to take Jesus' body. The Romans didn't want it. What did the Romans want to do with a criminal's body? <laughs> had no use for it. They would have thrown it in a ditch down and burned it up if, they had, if it was up to them. They didn't want it. The Jewish leadership didn't want it or didn't have it because if they had it, they would have produced it. When the disciples started preaching the gospel and thousands started coming to Christ, they would have produced the body of Jesus and said, look here. Here, here it is. He's not, he's not alive. He's dead. Here's his corpse. But they had no body to produce. And so they could not do it. The disciples didn't have the body of Christ. They had no means to get it. It was under guard. They had no power to get the body of Christ. So nobody did that. Thirdly, Jesus really did die. Throughout history, uh, church history, skeptics have said some that uh, he didn't really die. He just fainted. You know, through all he went through, he just collapsed and he fainted and he really didn't die. And then in the tomb, he started feeling better. And uh, so he got up and uh, he uh, uh, unwrapped himself from all those bandages and moved a, a several ton rock uphill and uh, then overpowered guards and walked on feet that had just been pierced and seemed to be to everybody that saw him as a resurrected body. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's utter nonsense, folks. Just think about it for a minute. Here's, here's a man beaten nearly to death by whips. Then he was crucified on a cross. Then he was stabbed in the heart with a spear. And then he had his face and his mouth and his nose wrapped in bandages and spices so he couldn't have breathed if he wanted to. He lay in a tomb without food or water for three days. And then suddenly started feeling better. Wouldn't you all? He unwraps these garments, he overpowers the guards, he moves the rock, he walks on miles uh, with pierced feet, he shows up to his followers and said, look at me, I'm resurrected. You believe that? That's, uh, the resurrection is far more plausible than such a silly story. But those that want to be skeptical have come up with these kinds of ideas. Number four, his followers spread the word of the resurrection and started the Christian faith right in the town where he is crucified and resurrected. This wasn't a story thousands of miles away. This was a story, an account, a historic account, right in the town of Jerusalem. 
where everybody knew what happened. Where anybody could go down and look at the tomb. They knew what was happening on the cross. And they, they pro pro proclaimed the, the death and resurrection of Christ right in Jerusalem where it took place. Number five, his followers believed in Jesus' resurrection and were really to be persecuted and martyred for what they believed. Now, there are a few deranged people that would die over anything, but most people would not do that. Most people would not die for a lie. If they knew it was a lie, they wouldn't be willing to die for it. And these are very normal people. These were not strange people or deranged people, just normal working class people, and they would not be willing to die for a lie. And, and that follows up to number six. Would they have told their, their children and their wives and their loved ones a lie? and then knew that they too were going to face persecution and death? Would, would they have been that evil, that mean-spirited, to say such a thing and do such a thing to their loved ones? That, that's kind of preposterous. The disciples believed. They had seen the risen Savior. They were willing to place their lives on the line for it and willing to even have their children and their wives place their lives on the line for the same truth. Number seven... The, the eyewitnesses, the, li the lives of the eyewitnesses was transformed forever. Peter went from hiding in the darkness to, being, to boldly proclaiming the gospel to, to anybody and everybody who would listen to him. Uh, the, 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 the disciples were all cowards at one point. They became bold as lions and traveled throughout all the known world proclaiming this truth. Relatively insignificant men and women turned the world upside down with the, with the message of the cross and the resurrection. Number eight, the Apostle Paul went from persecuting the church, putting to death some of the Christians apparently, and, and to becoming his, the greatest evangelist and cheerleader of the gospel the world has ever seen. He was a man who believed in the resurrection when he saw the resurrected Lord. Number nine, the traditions of the Jewish people were radically changed about at least those who believed in the gospel. The Jews are steeped, just steeped in tradition. And yet, they began to worship on Sunday instead of the Sabbath. They began to change slowly their traditions, the Jewish rituals and, and so forth, and the, the, the kosher laws, and, and moved away from those traditions because of the resurrection. And then finally, there's abundant external verification of the cross and the resurrection in ancient accounts that are not in the scriptures, but verification through many, many sources throughout the years. If you'd like to read about that in our library, or several copies of The Case for, for Christ by Lee Strobel that I, goes through several chapters showing the proof of the resurrection, including the external proofs. The resurrection happened, folks. Did it happen? You need to believe that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Number two, we need to know the purpose for the resurrection. Why did Jesus Christ resurrect from the dead in the first place? Go to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Why did he resurrect from the dead? Why didn't he just go back to heaven in a spiritual form? Set at the right hand of the Father. Why did he, didn't he just leave the body behind and forget about it? Well, there's a number of reasons that Master's Seminary uh, book on theology called Biblical Doctrine. Those theologians list 20 different achievements uh, that, uh, that were accomplished by the resurrection. 20 different achievements. 
I'm going to just mention three very quickly today. Number one, Christ's resurrection secured the defeat of our greatest enemy, our enemies. We see the first one in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and on down, or just looking at some verses. For he, resurrect, he, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of, of his beloved Son. Prior to Jesus Christ, we are in the domain of darkness and we are under the power of the prince of darkness, Satan himself. But when we come to Jesus Christ, he transfers us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of, his, of the beloved Son himself. We go over to chapter 2, verse, 13, verse 15. You get a little more information on this. He says, when he had dis disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. In other words, one of our great enemies is Satan and all of his minions. The demonic world is real. The satanic world is real, and, and, and they are out to destroy uh, the, the people of God and the whole world, really. Satan is, is the god of this age. He is like a roaring lion, we're told in First Peter, that roars about, runs about seeking someone to destroy. That's what he does. But Christ has redeemed us from that. Christ has set us free from the power of Satan himself. That's our first great enemy. That doesn't mean Satan, as a defeated foe, is still not fighting. That doesn't mean we can ignore him. We dare not ignore him according to the New Testament. Uh, you remember back in the Gulf War, uh, Saddam Hussein was, challenged us with a number of things, and so we sent over our powerful forces, our armies, and, and so forth, and the battle was over day one. They were defeated foes day one, but they didn't stop fighting. Matter of fact, they sent their armies out against us, and tens of thousands of people died as a result of, of uh, them not giving up. They went out and fired all the, the oil wells in Kuwait. They did a lot of damage. They were a defeated foe, but they didn't quit battling. Satan, Scripture says, is defeated. But he will not stop fighting because he wants your soul. And if you're a Christian, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to make you as miserable as is possible. And yet we have been set free from that power because of Jesus Christ. In addition, another enemy is found in, in Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15 kind of goes along with it. And that is, and I'm just going to put some of these verses up here so you don't have to turn there. But in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the, the devil, that, and might uh, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The power of death, it says, is in the hands of the devil here. He has been defeated, and therefore death itself has been defeated. Again, we're, that, that death that is not dead yet. The Lord yet will come and, and, and de demolish death, but is a defeated foe. The believer no longer need ever fear death again, because Christ has defeated it. I really love that song. Uh, the old hymn that we sang this morning, He Arose. Uh, we only sing it usually on Easter. But what a great old song it's, uh, it, it is. When it, you know, I even like the way it, it, it progresses along. It starts out kind of low-key and quiet. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the, the coming day, Jesus my Lord. And the third verse goes along with this passage. 
Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Then up from the grave he arose, right? With a mighty triumph over his foes. And you guys sang that out with great gusto today. I, I can hardly hold back. And usually when I, Sunday morning I don't sing too loudly because it hurts my voice and it hurts your ears. So I, I usually try to behave myself. But I can't behave myself on a song like that. I just cr- sung out. I was on the front row. Nobody could hear me but Dave White. He didn't care. So, so we were all right. But up from the grave he arose. What a mighty tri- with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. What a song. What a truth that song proclaims. Here's another reason why Christ, uh, another accomplishment that Christ had when he resurrected, and that is to confirm uh, Christ's deity. It says in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, this is a little bit of a difficult verse. Uh, there's two words here that help us. first word is the word declared. He was declared the Son of God. And that word could be translated appointed or as the legacy standard Bible translates it, designated. He was designated. He was appointed the Son of God at that point. But... That leads us to a question. Hasn't Jesus Christ always been the Son of God? Hasn't the second member of the Trinity always been the Son of God? Isn't He always, has always been God? Yes. Uh, Isn't He eternal? Yes. Isn't He of the same essence as the Father? Yes. So what could this verse be saying to us at this point? He's always been the Son of God, so what is it saying? And the key is found in that phrase, power. He has declared the Son of God with power. That, that's the key. He is declared. He is appointed. He is designated the Son of God with power. In the cradle, in the manger, he was the Son of God, but not with power. On the cross, he was the Son of God, but not with power. This passage says it was at the resurrection that he was appointed the Son of God with power, which means basically this. It was at the resurrection that the power and the deity of Jesus Christ was put on display. It was there that the world saw once and for all that Jesus Christ is God. There is no, there's no doubt. He's conquered death. He's defeated all foes. He lives. He is resurrected. And therefore we know that he is truly the son of God with power. No doubt lingers any longer. And then another accomplishment The resurrection made our justification possible. This might be concerning to some of you who know the scriptures pretty well. Let's read the verse, Romans 4.25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Now that's not something we necessarily think of all the time. Raised for our justification. What does he mean by that? William Hendrickson, one of my favorite New Testament commentators, says this. I'll read his comment. He says, this means he was raised in order to assure us that in the sight of God we are indeed without sin. In other words, Christ's resurrection had as its purpose to bring to light the fact 
that all those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior has entered into a state of righteousness in the eyes of God. You, if you are a Christian, are righteous in the eyes of God. Do you live righteously? No. Are you, are you without sin? Certainly not. But in the eyes of God, you have been set free from that. You're righteous in the eyes of God. He goes on to say this, The Father, by raising Jesus from the dead, assures us that Christ's atoning sacrifice has been accepted, hence our sins are forgiven. Let me say it another way. The resurrection was God's public stamp of approval, God's public witness that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient to save us from sin. Had Jesus remained in the grave, you and I would remain in our sins. But he resurrected that we might be set free. Third, third thing we want to look at today, let me, let me back up oops, on that a second here. Let me look for just a second. We're going to look now at a third thing. And I noticed the clock up there stopped today. So I don't know how long I'm going to go. It might be hours yet. <laughs> but I did see some people going out to set up the donuts, so I guess they're still there. So, so don't, don't get nervous. Uh, we'll get to them. But uh, we got one more thing we want to talk about. We need to know that the resurrection was made possible several things for us. The resurrection made several things possible. Number one, our access to God. This wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we had a, have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be sympathized with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are without, yet without sin. Therefore, let us, look at that word, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of the resurrection and the ministry of Christ on the cross, he is now living to be our high priest. He has lived where we've lived. He's been tempted as we've been tempted yet without sin. He knows what we go through. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our needs. And he sympathizes with us. And he's there when we need him most. And that's what we need him most for. Is found in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. Therefore he is able also to, to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. What we need most to draw near to God was Jesus Christ to take us into his presence. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. I was just reading in 1 Samuel this, this, just this week. Some people looked into the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant, just looked in it, and 70 of them died as a result of that. You couldn't draw near to God that, that way, but now we can because Jesus intercedes for us. That means he ushers us into the very nearness, the very presence of God because of what he has done for us. You, you couldn't do that without Jesus interceding. Let's say, for example, you want to go talk to President Biden. You've got some real good political ideas for him, and you know he wants to hear them, right? And so you go up to the gate at the White House, and you say, I want to talk to President Biden. I've got some stuff he'll, he'll want to hear. What will they do to you? Uh, you don't want to talk about it too much, okay? They're not going to let you in there. But what, the, what if the chief of staff shows up, and he says, oh, yeah, I know, I know Gary. 
I'll take him on in. Right. So, so they open the gate. We go right into the White House. We go into the Oval Office. And the guy says, look, this is Gary Gilley. You want to talk to him? That's a bad chance. But okay, so here I am. How did I get in there? Only because the chief of staff took me in. How do you get in the presence of God? How do you draw near to God? Only through Jesus Christ. And that couldn't happen if he didn't live to intercede for us. What a wonderful thing. Let me give you another one. Because he lives, we have regeneration. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our born-again status, our living hope, is dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus. Let me say it this way. If you want to write anything down or memorize any one little phrase today, here it is. No resurrection, no eternal life. Here's another one you can add to it, according to this passage. No resurrection, no eternal hope. You're hopeless, folks. You're absolutely hopeless if there's no resurrection. But because of the resurrection, we can be born again, regenerated. And then also our bodily resurrection. I'm going to put this up here, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd rather you go there than look on the board, but if you want to, stay right there. This is really odd, but I'm going to ask Jim Rowley to tell me what time it is. 10.05. 10 Nobody cares. Preach on. It says there... It says there 9.45, so uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know where to go. I'm, I'm torn, but here we are. Okay. I, I, I know we have a busy morning, but I do want to mention this here. Just look at this with me. In 1 Corinthians 9.15, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just going to take you down through there, verses 12 to 19. Look at, at these verses with me as I go through. Uh, Paul, Paul is writing about the fact, what would happen if Christ had not resurrected from the dead? You want to know what would have happened if Christ was not resurrected? If resurrection morning really was a joke, you want to know what would have happened? Here's a, here's a number of things. Five things he says. Your faith is worthless. Verses 12 to 14. Completely in vain. Secondly, you have, we have no authoritative word of God because the apostles are liars. They lied about it. Verse 15. Our, we're still in our sins and we can't be forgiven. Verses 16 and 17. Next, those who die have no hope for the future life. They simply have perished. You die, you're gone. Verse 18. And verse 19, we are pitiful people because we spend all of our lives as Christians believing a lie. How sad that is. Then he comes to verse 20, and you see it on the board if you didn't turn to it. But now, wow. He said, wake up. Here's the reality. Quit worrying about what might have happened if something didn't happen. Here's the truth. He is resurrected. And now, because he's been resurrected, you are changed people. It's like waking up from a bad dream. You ever had those dreams? You woke up and you look around and you say, sure glad that was a dream. You know? Well, that's kind of what he's saying here. This is reality. You wake up. Christ is resurrected. And what does that mean to us because Christ is resurrected what well, it means to us, according to these, these verses of Scripture, that we now, verse 20, 21, or 20, were the first fruits of the... He's, he's resurrected. He's the first fruit. Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. 
For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Because Adam was a man and died and, and brought sin into this world, a man had to come and be perfectly sinless and die for our sins, that we can have life. And then verse 23, But each of us in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming, he's saying, look, we are going to be resurrected ourselves, only because Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. No resurrection of Christ, no resurrection for us. Where we perish in our sins, we perish with this life, we have no hope. Now we've been looking at the uh, State of the uh, Theology 2022 survey of Americans. It says that two-thirds of all Americans claim they believe in the resurrection. I'm, I'm surprised by that, but two-thirds. However, this belief in the resurrection doesn't do much to change how most people live. So those who are believers in the resurrection have some, very little, most of them, to do with Christ, very little to do with His church, very little engagement with the Scripture. Many of these people who believe and claim they believe in the resurrection live in total and open defiance of the very moral commands that God gives us in His Word. They have never connected the dots between the truth of the resurrection and the life that they are to live and eternal life to come. They claim to believe it. It makes no difference in how they live their lives. But the resurrection, folks, is not a nice little doctrine to comfort us. It's not just a historic fact that we celebrate at Easter time. It is the very foundation of all we believe and all we have in Christ. Michael Horton wrote a book called Recovering Our Sanity, in which he tells the story of, which, of his debate with Bill Nye, the science guy. Now, Bill Nye's got some notoriety in recent times. He's an atheist, and he believes that all religions are like fairy tales, like fuzzy teddy bears. And so they were debating, and he, Nye went first, and then Horton got up to do his thing, and he says, I agree with almost everything Bill Nye has just said, which surprised the audience. Then he said, could I mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And for 30 minutes he gave historical, scientifically, scientific and biblical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Bill Nye didn't know what to do. He had no concept of those kinds of evidences. He just fluttered around. Folks, the, the question is not whether Christ is resurrected. That's settled. The question is, what difference does it make in your life? And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're missing out on the very reason He died and resurrected and lives for us today. We invite you to talk to us afterwards about how you can know Jesus Christ.